Hey all, I'm proud to welcome you to the recorded roundtable discussion hosted by Fiber Focus and Incremental. We wanted to bring experts in brand and performance to hold the ultimate standoff between the two polarizing segments of digital marketing. We found that the two actually share a lot more in common with one another than we thought. In this roundtable, you can learn about top of the funnel, measurement in a post-IDFA world, the impact of Apple's announcement on programmatic advertising and more. We hope you'll enjoy listening to this roundtable. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to our roundtable. So uh, we're here today uh, with Fiber, um, co-hosted by Incremental, a roundtable for the big brand versus performance standoff, uh, mobile marketing in a non-personalized future. And starting, uh, we wanted to introduce all the participants on this call. Uh, who would like to go first? Uh, my name is Ryan Kendall. Uh, I help lead programmatic marketing, so help lead that up across strategy as well as activation at Red Ventures. Uh, we're located here in North Carolina, so we're in Charlotte at the moment. Um, I've been working here for about two years now, um, so definitely excited to be here today and have this conversation. I'm Maor Sadra, CEO and co-founder of Incremental. Uh, we are an incrementality measurement platform, just recently launched, uh, got funding and working on the product uh, to develop incrementality measurement tools and platforms for marketers. Hi, I'm Victor, um, growth marketing expert. Um, I'm here in Berlin. Been here for a year and a half, uh, working in UA. So. And uh, hi, my name is Ofer, uh, Fiber's president. I oversee product marketing and strategy uh, based in the Beria, originally from Israel, moved here uh, nine years ago. So let's go ahead and jump into our first question. Um, yeah. How is the programmatic space influenced by Apple's announcement? Will it impact the adoption of programmatic UA channels in the mobile app ecosystem? So maybe just to start, uh, in case you were born yesterday and you don't know what Apple announced, Apple is killing the IDFA, the um, unique device identifier, which means that all of us will have a little bit harder slash impossible times identifying users out there on the web before they become our users. Yeah, I, I can jump in on this piece. I, I think it certainly impacts, you know, programmatic adoption. It certainly impacts the space. I think overall, it's going to change the way that, you know, normal agencies and advertisers look to conduct marketing in the programmatic space, right? And I think it impacts a, a wide variety of capabilities that we have today. Obviously, things like retargeting and frequency are going to be challenged. Uh, pretty immensely. Just overall attribution will also be challenged. I think as we move over to a new attribution system with SK Ad Network, uh, advertisers and agencies will have to think through uh, just their normal account structures, things as simple as that. And I think um, there's a lot of rethinking to be done, um, challenges to be had. I think we're going to need to challenge best practices that have been set and really those workbooks that we have uh, down today. Um, again, it, it encompasses a lot of things. Uh, I think we're not gonna cover that, even in this call, the impacts that it'll have, but um, obviously those are some of the high level things that we're, we're starting to think through today. And, and the other thing I'll add is I certainly hope this doesn't impact programmatic adoption. I think um, there's way too much to be gained moving into uh, the programmatic space if you're still going to direct uh, with a lot of publishers, if you're not even in, uh, in, in buying programmatic media today, I think it should certainly be considered given the flexibility, the scale and the transparency that it provides buyers. I think the, the barrier to entry though will be raised after 90FA disappears. So for any newcomers, any new channels, any new programmatic DSPs, those will be very, I mean, the, the, the difficulty to, you know, to entering the market will be just raised exponentially without the IDFA, without that hook uh, to base your LTE predictions off, bids off of all of that. You know, my view is that uh, this change will actually broaden the media mix for many marketers who recently, you know, were dependent on the, the big O&O networks, namely, you know, the, the Facebooks and the Google and may actually um, encourage them to try other platforms. If it's influencer marketing, if it's actually programmatic, maybe more, uh, actually diversifying from this uh, dependency because the, um, you know, the edge that those platforms had connecting so many data points together are now uh, slightly going down, right? So it actually opens up more opportunities, not just for programmatic, but I'm not sure programmatic should be the one that, you know, suffers. 
from such a movie. So um, I want to quote Albert Einstein. Um, and uh, he was the one to say, in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. And I think that many consider this Apple announcement as a crisis because it indeed uh, disrupts the industry, how it works. And so many marketers, specifically like uh, performance first marketers, have been completely dependent on device identifiers. And so many managed DSPs have developed amazing device graphs to really, really know their um, like users. Now, this crisis creates an opportunity for marketers to really take the next step, which is programmatic in-housing. Because if you think about it, many of the DSPs will now basically utilize contextual, try to understand which placement, which work for which verticals, and if I'm a marketer and my managed DSP where I'm spending a couple of millions on a year is going through this transition, I might as well do this transition in-house. This is kind of my opportunity to take programmatic in-house rather than uh, trust a managed solution to do it for me. I think we'll continue to see advertisers be challenged with the question of where do they resource the talent to help in-house um, and really being able to retain that talent. I think that's part of the, the debate there on, on that matter, but I certainly think that um, advertisers will continue to look to in-house media capabilities, whether that be because of IDFA deprecation or because they just wanna have more control and be able to activate on their first party data. Um, but I, I certainly think that becomes more important in a world where um, we see IDFA be deprecated. You know, Mo, to, um, to second Ryan, I wanna say that, you know, sophisticated marketers will always try to get, you know, media buying in-house. But deprecation of IDFA or, or ATT may also increase the bar of sophistication, right? So if you really want to, to get it in-house, you need to understand you can't longer rely on two or three big sources. You have to try different ones. You have to measure it differently. You have to look at um, different type of attributions that, you know, will change with, with such a move. So while it makes sense, and I do expect to see you know, some marketers move in-house, it will not be as smooth and simple as it could have been a year ago. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. And I, I think at, at the same time here, right, if you're, if you're a marketer and you, you don't have any in-house capabilities right now, I think it puts you in an interesting position to, to really rewrite what perhaps your agency has been doing. Um, and so with that, I think rethinking attribution, and again, it's a matter of understanding and having the knowledge in-house to, to go through that exercise, but assuming that you do, being able to, to rework what that attribution looks like as we move you know, post-IDFA, I think that will be crucial. Um, and that's obviously what we're talking about here today. So excited to continue uh, thinking through what that measurement will be. Yeah, I think in-housing, by the way, is always this something that takes a very bold long-term decision because it's not gonna just work tomorrow. It could have worked if you took retargeting in-house, you had your own customer uh, base, you used the manage, uh, sorry, use the software DSP to kind of find your users, but that's pretty much out the window now, right? I do, I do wonder as we mo move past this, you know, what role fingerprinting and things like that continue to play. Obviously the efficacy will be lowered, um, but I do think there'll be some form of retargeting that still exists, you know, later after after this deprecation, but obviously I think we'll need to continue to rethink what that looks like. What top of the funnel advertisers can learn from performance advertisers and vice versa? Uh, should new different KPIs be used to measure success? Should mobile game companies shift some budgets to top of the funnel campaigns? Here we have the standoff itself, I guess. That's classic for Victor to answer. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the, the main problem with top of the funnel campaigns is how do you measure how effective they are? The main issue now, and TVs, you know, I put TV in this uh, because Facebook and UAC, they snatch up all of the attribution uh, left and right. And so how, it's really hard to get a true measurement of how effective all these top funnel things are. Uh, but if you look at something like Lyft, if you're able to measure Lyft, um, in a, in a holistic way where you don't look at per channel, but overall total lift, I think you can absolutely um, post, you know, post IDFA world, you can, you can still uh, run that. And that actually might be more effective than trying to have these hyper-targeted um, you know, uh, action campaigns that people run now. Yeah, I, 
I also think that, you know, when, when looking at kind of top of funnel exercises, right, I, I think what needs to be taken from, you know, performance marketers in that mindset is really the, the testing rigor that goes into that, right? And so as we continue to think through top of the funnel, what value do we assign to it? I think what, what it's gonna come down to is we need to test. We need to find new ways to, to really look at that rigor that a lot of performance marketers go through today and apply that to the top of the funnel. And I think we need to understand that uh, those, those KPIs that we're looking at will never be the same uh, as when we're looking at uh, our performance funnels. But with that, it's starting to think through, you know, what are those me measures of success? What ways can we continue to test and how can we actually show that this is adding value, which is again, what we're talking about now. Um, but I really do think it comes down to the, the ways in which we're measuring that. I know on our side, when we're running awareness campaigns, goals can be different, obviously, by initiative. But when it comes down to it, we want eyeballs. Um, and what we really want to be able to do is put interesting and engaging content in front of those users. And I think with that, what we're looking to do is, is drive to a format where it's immediately digestible. I don't need a user to click out on my ad to drive awareness of our brand, of the products that you know, we're putting in front of them. And for that reason, if we're not you know, looking to drive users to click through on our ad, land on our pages, drive greater knowledge, obviously that's gonna be a very different experience and a different you know, measurement versus performance where you know, the user's much closer to it. We, we're retargeting them. They've already been on our site. And for that reason, you know, they're never apples to apples. So I think for that, we'll always need to keep them separate. This is the same reason we don't look at, you know, our, our branded search performance right next to, you know, display uh, performance media, right? They're never the same, but again, KPIs might be similar, but overall, um, the, the entire exercise will be different. Mo, I really like uh, Ryan's direction here, and I know you are aiming for a standoff, but with your permission, I want to shuffle the cards for a second, okay? I want to ask two questions to the panel. First, what is, what is top of the funnel today? With, uh, you know, OTT and digital out of home and everything is changing, even our perception of top of the funnel is changing because there are more tools to target and even to measure and discuss addressability. And then, what is brands versus performance? Even, even brands can now be broken into performance marketers who are brands who are looking for activation versus just you no know, brand recall or, or, or full traffic to a store if it's open nowadays. So I think everything is changing. No, seriously, everything is changing in the way we looked in the past. And my view, and I would love to get your perspective, is that it's actually leaning more and more towards performance marketing, even for the brands. Like everything should be measured in this way or another. And now whatever it's, you know, one-to-one -one measurement or, you know, lift and incrementality, more that you can maybe talk about. But I need to be able to, to associate and assign um, results and performance to the media, to the media mix. And that's true for top of the funnel today, bottom of the funnel, like no matter how you access the media. I think that like the, the, the term top of the funnel that we use, maybe it's a, it's quite a, quite a vague term because I think that what we mean is that it's not necessarily oriented to measure a direct response and action because maybe it's too arrogant for us to, to kind of like put a brand awareness campaign on TV and expect people to click a link or copy a URL and download and directly measure as, as a result. But on the other hand, to uh, put a hundred percent reliance on uh, attribution as a direct source of truth means, well, someone clicked this banner, hence they bought this house, car, computer, phone, probably doesn't really make sense as well. Now, I think in a way this, this non-IDFA move that Apple creates or enforces on all of us, in a way, kind of puts everybody in the, in the same level, um, top of the funnel, um, bottom of the funnel, it kind of like challenges how we attribute to begin with and in a way forces a mindset change in every marketer because in a way the, the way that attribution has been working today and especially since um, many marketers, performance marketers are paying for performance means they're not paying for the media. Uh, we reach kind of this weird point where like marketers are actually skewing their vendors to get them the users that are very likely to already convert. Uh, and if this would be a brand, think of Walmart, if Walmart uh, if media vendors would know that Walmart spends more if they get more food traffic to it and they can actually measure it, the vendors could measure it, then um, the smartest Walmart media vendor would just put a booth outside of Walmart 
and hand people flyers before they come into the store. And then they're gonna get a lot more budget. In a way, this is kind of how performance has been working. And in a way, like Apple's elimination of device identifiers forces both vendors and marketers to think like marketers and not just, you know, efficient and aquarium. But, you know, Maor, uh, redemption on you, of course. Uh, in your examples of Walmart, by giving the flyers to people who came to Walmart, they already came to Walmart or at least were nearby. I think what we still need to figure out is how to reach the greater audience, people who didn't plan to come to Walmart, but still you want to catch them. And you want to be able to, again, to attribute some kind of that uh, performance to, to the actions that you took. And that, that's a big question mark for me, right? And I'm sure for Ryan and, and Victor as well, but even if we don't get full attribution, but some kind of a direction or a lead, it will give us the confidence that we are doing something right. Well, I don't want to be too salesy, but that's kind of what we're doing at Incremental, you know. Right, but Yeah. <laughs> One last piece on this is when we continue to call it performance and awareness, awareness media, right? I, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. You know, calling it performance and, and then, you know, just calling it awareness almost implies that awareness is not driving performance on the media that we're deploying today, right? And again, when we're working, you know, I work in an agency style capacity when we're working with an advertiser to align with their goals, when we're talking through awareness, we, we usually delineate it as awareness and acquisition media because we don't want to necessarily suggest that the awareness media that they're deploying is not driving any other performance. And that's obviously where we need to start thinking through kind of full funnel attribution. And how do we look at the, the top of the funnel media that we're deploying today and the impact that that could be having elsewhere. And that halo effect is really where we're trying to work with advertisers to better understand um, and really align with their goals and show, hey, this is the value that we're actually driving even though it's not necessarily called performance media as they have normally understood it. But again, it's realigning those expectations. And so really with that, I think the other piece here is aligning on incentives to your point on uh, those marketers that are out there that are just looking to drive, you know, foot traffic or whatever have you on the measurement that we have today. Again, working off a last, last touch basis doesn't necessarily always align with the advertiser's goals, right? And so the incentive isn't necessarily there for me to go out and say, hey, I'm running a prospecting campaign. I wanna reach net new users who have never been to Walmart before. And that's obviously where we run into challenges because when we're retargeting to users, that looks much more efficient on a last touch basis versus going out and prospecting and finding new users, which may is far more likely to be adding value to Walmart if we're capturing new, new people who never go to the store. So that's, that's the last piece I wanted to add there. Because again, I feel like that delineation just isn't made clear enough at times. Yeah, and I, I, I would add something too, is that by removing the EDFA, Apple is forcing performance marketers to think more in brand terms and brand marketers perhaps just to, to change and think in performance terms as well. Those, those lines will be blurred if you're able to measure the lift and, and this attribution shenanigans, all these shenanigans go away from what we see in Facebook and all this now become this whole picture of, of, of traffic or installs or leads or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I think that until now there was a, again, if I, if I look at most of my career I spent on the performance marketing and performance marketing at some point when a marketer could pay for performance and not have to take the risk paying for the media, whether if it's CPM or CPC, um, I think that many marketers just kind of like stopped caring about what happens before the conversion happens. Hence, it's like a, if there is a branding budget and suddenly all your conversions go well, you as a performance marketer or as a media vendor are super happy because suddenly generating performance becomes easier. And the brand people usually in the performance marketers uh, get a fraction of the budget because it's not directly attributed. On the other hand, um, I think it's impossible to kind of, uh, it's not just impossible, it's in a way arrogant to assume that the top of the funnel did not have a direct impact over performance. So the next question we came up with is how can marketers make sense of their return on advertising spend across very different type of marketing campaigns, user acquisition versus awareness or any other mediums that you can think of? I think this goes back to lift, right? goes back to measuring what was the actual increase in leads or installs or whatever it is. But now you have to group group them much more carefully. You can't group on IDFA anymore, obviously. But you can group on Geo, you can group on 
you know, placement, you can group on other things and then you measure that lift, you know, lift by placement. Now here, maybe jumping in a little bit with kind of like my experience, obviously in the last couple of months, working on the incrementality, uh, incrementality side of things, a lot of people misconceive incrementality as something that uses randomized audience groups trying to differentiate this user versus that user, which here kind of like one of the hypotheses that we had at incremental is that first of all, incrementality cannot be measured on a single user level. And second of all, it's not deterministic. Um, personally, I also think that determinism in marketing is, is a hoax. It's, it was never impossible. At best, you can rely on a last touch point attribution to tell you who touched the user last in kind of a deterministic way, though all of the attribution companies have unique models where they do discriminate between um, inventory that comes with more parameters like device identifiers versus inventory that doesn't, like a web traffic that doesn't come with cookie or IP or geolocation and so on. Now, in a way, I think that calling it deterministic was maybe kind of like what set us off in the wrong direction because marketing was never deterministic. Like if we could really predict what a user intends to do, well, then it would be Google. But, but you know, but, if, but even Google uh, uh, for LAT traffic on, on, you know, on Safari, like when they don't have access to data, they use some kind of uh, extrapolation to try and understand how much of the users actually attributed to them, but they don't really know it. But I guess my point is that you're, you are correct, but we're still gonna have SK Ad Network as, as a basic, even if minimalistic solution to attribute cohorts of users. So we are, we are going away from the specific user level attribution or last touch point into a cohorts of users that it's up to us on marketers and platforms to, to, to bring together. And, and see, okay, how each cohort performed. Now, I don't think by itself it's enough. Again, I think we're gonna have um, several pointers or several, or several indications, lift, SKED network, you know, organic data. So we have to build a map to understand what works for us. Look, we eventually each, each app, every publisher is a business. And if we don't solve the, unit economics, then we can't really talk about ROAS and, and, and scaling. It's very important to get it, you know, in, in the early days. Yeah, I, I would say the, the last piece here really, and I brought this up earlier, is just around expectation setting, right? As a, as a marketer, when you're going in and you're looking at ROAS for, you know, on awareness versus performance media, you, you just need to understand that the targeting that you're doing is different. The, the formats that you're playing across the creative that you have in market you know, they're very different and the goals are different. And so for that reason, you know, the expectation should be that ROAS come in differently. But again, it, it's a matter of measuring what that impact could be on both sides. You know, there are definitely, when we're running performance media today, we're leaving things on the table that's touch attribution. And with that, we need to continue to think beyond just what we're doing today on the performance side, not just on, you know, the awareness, awareness media that we have in market. Now maybe the question is, so we used specifically return on advertising spend, but one of the things I notice often is that organic traffic is not attributed within the marketing activity. It means that uh, many marketers look at the results of paid media, not actually taking into consideration the organic lift that they actually have. And obviously, if you're marketing for, like if you're marketing, there's a, if you push a train enough, it will continue riding on its own. It will continue going on its own. There is inertia. And of course, performance marketing and marketing in general affects your brand positioning, awareness, size. And then, uh, yeah, there is a total ROI that needs to be looked at, not just advertising, paid marketing ROI. Yeah, I think that just strengthens your point around in-housing, right? When it comes to organic data points, I think it's great to be able to measure off that. I think it, it certainly will matter to measure on you know, branded search impression lift that you're running perhaps on your awareness media. But I, I think that's just one data point that should go along with what was, you know, the organic growth that we drove. Did direct entry see any growth as we had media in that market? So 
again, I think it's just a matter of having that data available. Depending on if you're the advertiser, I think you certainly want to be measuring across all of that. But if you're an agency that doesn't have access to that organic data, I think that's where they're then going to typically look. If they're running, you know, branded search, then they'll be looking at what was the lift there to be able to share insights in that way. Moving on to the next question. In what way should marketers challenge their existing media mix when identifiers are no longer commonly available? I think Ophir mentioned this earlier, but to, to, to diversify them, right? Try different, not the traditional Facebook, you see Apple search, but branch into influencers, uh, TV, right? Um, maybe even billboards, but just, you know, diversify it. Yeah, again, it comes down to testing. We should always be rigorous in testing new channels. We should always be looking for new opportunities. Again, we don't want to be stagnant running in um, old channels or across audiences that we've been saturating for years. Again, we should be exploring new opportunities always. And I think, um, you know, there's no better time now post IDFA to start thinking about those things. With that said, I certainly think that we shouldn't necessarily be shifting, you know, entire budgets away from channels that have worked in the past just because we can't measure it one-to-one -one anymore. I think there's still going to be a ton of value there. And I think, again, as um, advertisers are, are looking to explore um, how to assign value there, again, it's a great time to start reworking what we've been doing. Really, again, challenging what those best practices are and, and thinking about how can we now proceed to the future. The entire industry is moving this way. How, do, how should we be working, in, working with that? I would also uh, zoom out for a second from just talking about UA because it's an industry and we have UA and then we have monetization. So the media in the next couple of months, maybe quarters, the media will get cheaper, uh, which also makes this ROA cycle, uh, all, all the economics will change. And we have to understand that it may take some time to stabilize back, right? Because if I make less money, I can spend less money, et cetera, and vice versa. So uh, I would say that we should expect some kind of a drop. Uh, to Ryan's point, uh, uh, you know, some partners will dip, but I also trust them to slowly come up uh, back again. Maybe not to the same levels as before, but uh, it should it should you know work. I know ad networks and DSPs are now working on post IDFA solutions. If it's contextual, if it's lift, if it's you know playing within the boundaries of what is a you know privacy sensitive, uh, and it will not work immediately. So it will take some time. I would definitely diversify. Victor, I'm on you completely, but I wouldn't go also completely radical. And so we need to, like, like everything in life, we need some balance between the two. I actually think that um, like once IDFA gets deprecated and none of us really know when this is going to happen. Uh, like Apple announced a delay, um, they didn't give a date. And Apple could give us a new deadline or they could just make the change tomorrow morning. And yeah, could happen. We don't really know. Uh, I think no one expected when Apple announced the IDFA deprecation in um, what was it, uh, June, end of June, and gave a deadline of September, everybody was freaking out. Uh, you could see us also with the big platforms. And of course, there's even some public uh, debates now between Facebook and Apple on uh, who's blaming who for this uh, um, hurting their business. Now, what I actually think is that many marketers will simply not make any changes whatsoever to their media mix until there is an alternative, until they know how SKED network is working, until there's an alternative to tracking and to attribution that they can actually trust. I think that many marketers now are really trying to understand with their current attribution stack, what are they planning, what is going to happen, where there are so much uncertainties. There was uh, even just up to last week, kind of a bug in SKN network where many marketers couldn't really get postbacks. So on the, other, on the other hand, I do see marketers now who have experience in running a mixed modeling uh, or running across multiple platforms and not only trackable and um, who are now basically using this knowledge and experience to test out other channels, to test out in influencers as well, to test out other platforms. I also think that given the fact that um, Facebook announced that they're not going to continue with Facebook audience network and join the header bidding uh, uh, basically uh, chain, uh, this gives opportunity to so many platforms on the monetization side, making so much inventory more available for lower price. I would say this is actually uh, 
uh, a tailwind for, for programmatic. I mean, the fact that, you know, Facebook is bidding on, is moving to bidding only. Uh, you asked before more what we think about programmatic. I, I actually have high hopes for programmatic. In, in many ways, uh, most of these guys have some really robust tech. And yes, it was built for device graph, but you know, also the ad networks are not just betting around. So uh, I do count on their you know, investment into machine learning and, and AI to crack the new set of uh, parameters, be it contextual or not, uh, to show better ROAS. Um, I can still remember when um, many, many years ago, when I co-founded Interactive and, and later more you joined, when you were pitching VCs and edtech business, they would say, oh, it's edtech, there is no tech, what do you want from me? Uh, and while it may not be exciting, there is a lot of tech in edtech. And I do count on our industry to keep developing and evolving uh, and to show demonstrating results, even without IDFA, to the marketers. Yeah, I, I don't think there are any marketers out there who are just looking to stay stagnant as we go into IDFA, who are, who are thinking, you know what, we're just gonna wait it out. And once others start setting best practices, once, once the technology catches up, that's when we'll jump on the train. Um, I, I certainly don't wanna see marketers fleeing to other channels just because they think, hey, we can't, we can't measure you know, on a one-to-one -one basis anymore. And, and that's it, we're gonna call it quits and we're gonna move all of our media out of iOS and we're gonna only focus on Android and web and we'll, we'll call it a day. I think to your point, Offer, there's still a lot to be learned. There's still a lot on the table when it comes to the signals that we have available today. I hope we touch on contextual a little bit more before we hop off today because um, we have worked with advertisers who have a number of privacy restrictions even, even before this announcement. And what we have found is that we're able to drive a, a ton of success just leveraging contextual signals. And again, that's where we're really starting to look today as how can we look to, to challenge some of our best practices? How can we look to a lot of those contextual signals that are available to us, but how do we continue to enrich that data set with additional signals that we can take action on? And I think that's where a lot of marketers should be looking to. Again, we shouldn't be just fleeing to new channels, to new platforms, just because we think this is going to hurt us. I think what we're gonna find is the industry as a whole is moving in this direction. And so we should really be embracing the change and finding ways to drive success here while we while we still can. Yeah, I think by the way, it's like, so if we look at the privacy trend that's been going on for a couple of years and Apple's move, we, we do need to take some kind of a responsibility. Like we created this as an industry, not saying the four of us, but uh, as an industry, this um, over-reliance on knowing everything about the user, user history, uh, user engagement, and so on, brought us to a world where uh, the press picked it up and users uh, were really anti um, the amount of information that was just exposed and available to anyone. And yes, we're all colored with the same brush. Um, when you look at the political campaign interference and ad targeting, it's, it's all labeled as a, oh my God, but again, we are part of the reason why this move happened. And I like what Ofer said about the, the tech part. Um, tracking, when it comes to attribution, matching a click ID to a device identifier, that, that's tech, but that's not so hard. Uh, when you look at an offline brand, take a Coca-Cola, that's been advertising for more than 100 years, and they've not relied on last touch point attribution. Uh, they, relied on, they relied on a lot more in marketing research, analysis, panels, surveys, marketing report, Nielsen report, Comscore report, and maybe it's not the same amount of technology, but taking this approach to the digital world does require a lot of technology because the scale we're handling, the enormity we're handling, the fact that uh, Victor from Berlin can uh, hit a button and run a campaign in 170 countries, and probably does, um, puts us in a different scale and requires technology in depth that we simply did not have until now. And this is basically the time, um, the time for EdTech to shine on the tech side of things. This also, uh, to add to that, this also adds a lot more emphasis now on creatives, right? Even more so, of course, creators are, I think, the most important part, but post-IDFA, they will be the most important part because that's what differentiates you from game A, game B, product C, you know? Um, that's where Coca-Cola does really well, obviously, their messaging, their brand presence, all of that, and that's on the creative side. 
Yeah, and, and again, it goes back to enriching the data set that you have. So I, that's a great point on creative. Uh, again, that's something we've worked on to really take a, a data-based approach to creative to understand what elements within the creative are driving performance that we're seeing today. You know, whether that be on a last touch, last touch basis or you know, any other metric, we're able to capture that within our data sets. Um, and again, it's, it, that's been extremely valuable as we're looking to explore you know, new pockets of performance that perhaps we aren't on today and really aligning the creative with the audience, right? So again, really enriching your data set. I think that the beauty of ad tech and, and the scale that we're seeing again is capturing those signals. And I think that takes a, an immense amount of technology to capture the signals that we wanna take action on, but also an immense amount of technology to allow us to take action on it. And we know that what we've run up to today, I think is we have DSPs that allow us to take you know, action on a number of signals, but we're wanting to continue to add more. But what we're hearing back is that, well, that's an immense uh, task for us. There's a lot, a lot of tech debt that goes into that. And so for that reason, you know, there's still levers that we want to pull that aren't available to us today. And I think we'll continue to see you know, DSPs and you know, a lot of the buy side platforms continue to move in that direction to, to give us, the buyers, the power uh, to take action on those additional signals. Interestingly enough that the SK Ad Network doesn't actually have a placeholder for creative. I don't know if you know this, which is kind of weird because it's Apple. It's like, you know, it's, it's a brand. It's the mother of all brands. And uh, yeah, they kind of missed out on the creative ID part. And that's a, yeah, I, I actually do expect that they will fix it uh, in the future. But then the question comes like, what is the marketer of, of the future of basically the now? Is it, a, is it an artistic mathematician? Uh, or is it a, a mathematic-oriented uh, uh, renaissance uh, person, basically? I think it's always a mix of both. You know, I won't say everything that we do is a science. There's certainly art that, that's at play here. Um, but I will say, at least on our side, in particular at Red Ventures, we've taken a, a data-based approach. And that's been extremely successful for us. And I think um, we'll continue to see a lot of marketers move in the same direction. We have a full data and engineering team. We have data scientists working on our side, working through pretty complex data sets to provide us insights to take action on. And I think we'll continue to see a lot of marketers become more sophisticated as we move into this new world. I just, I just wanted to say that I think a creative artist who understands um, the marketing metrics that we look at will become more valuable than a media buyer set because they're actually able to convey a message visually and if they understand the metrics, that's, that's unbelievably important. So. I, would, I would say the same for any of the data or engineering folks that are out there working in the marketing space. Again, having the, the knowledge that kind of bridges the gaps you know, to the business side on the marketing side um, will be, become in, invaluable because they're providing insights and building out tasks that really allow us on the, on the buy side to take, again, that action and to, to continue to drive a lot of the value that we're driving today. I think it will drive a further consolidation in the market, meaning we will see, you know, creative shop, creative tech companies being merged, acquired, whatnot by networks or DSPs or, or supply side platforms. I think those, those pieces are getting together and everything is, in this conversation is getting connected because again, if you want to set up an in-house media team today, you need creative, you need math, you need media mix. I mean, you need everything. If you're going to rely on partners, it's the same. And what I learned in this market in the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, that it's all driven by efficiency, right? It's all driven by efficiency. So eventually, those pieces will come together uh, to cut the, the tax and to make it efficient for both publishers and, and marketers. So interesting that you say this about the creative, but uh, again, being devil, not devil's advocate, but being the controversial here, Facebook and Google don't really give you much control over creative and they don't want to give you much control over the creative. So um, Facebook's uh, AAA and uh, Google's UAC kind of puts like creative uploads completely as optional. And the question is, if you guys think that other vendors, like other media vendors will go to this direction, kind of telling you, no, we got this when it comes to the creative because at the end, if the media vendor is able to spend less media to generate what you perceive as a conversion, then they're generating a higher ECPM for themselves by spending less media space for your campaign. 
if I can jump in more, I think this is actually demonstrates the point of how creative is important. When did Facebook started it? When Bidalgo and Kensho Social did such a good job automating campaigns and Facebook said, oh shit, I have to do it myself. Why do I give a margin to these guys? So they bought it in-house. It's the same efficiency route. Because it's, because it's working, they bought it in. And that's why I believe we will see it's happening in, with smaller players as well when they will bring in creative optimization in-house. I'll say the last piece here on um, how those platforms provide control you know, on the buy side when it comes to creative. I think we have found ways to be a, a little more flexible with those platforms to continue to get at those insights, at those optimizations. Again, we recognize with how, how large of a part creative actually plays in the, in the efficiencies that we want to find. Again, we have found ways to, to be a little more creative with that. And I think we've maintained a lot of that control um, even as you know, Google and Facebook have continued to try to claw that their way. I was going to say the same thing, right? <laughs> I, I want to add, by the way, that uh, when it comes to creative optimization, this is where I think last touch point attribution is kind of like the best proxy because it works in real time. It's, uh, it's the only attribution model that does work in real time. And if you have uh, three creative sets and one of them does exceptionally better than the other, when it comes to last touch point attribution rate, you can conclude from this that users are reacting to it and you can actually utilize this for your media. And I overall also think that, well, digital marketing is an awesome kind of playground for every other medium you work with because you simply cannot make the same amount of iteration and changes on a television campaign or an um, audio campaign as uh, you can on a digital campaign. Yeah, I, again, it goes back to the flexibility that's provided our way when it, when it comes to, you know, programmatic space. So here's what I take from it. And, you know, we use the term contextual targeting very broadly in that space, especially for UA. But here is one point of view. Because attribution is going to be limited, because SK network is so limited, I guess we will rely on creative engagement as, as a strong indicator of the campaign's performance. So right, the, the first KPI come to mind is like CTR. All of a sudden we'll care more about CTR than before because that's, I can still measure up until this point, you know, very well. But it's not just the CTR, right? If it's a playable ad, so what was the user engagement with the playable? If it's, if it's a video interstitial, which is skippable, what was the completion rate versus reward that I have to stack in? And then what's the CTR on the actual end card versus maybe a, an a accidental click? So creative analytics will again become one of those pointers that help us understand the performance of a campaign. Because after the click, I, 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 I'm back to SK Network Mercy and we all established them be very limited. Yeah, that, that's exactly where our head's at today um, when it comes to you know, post-IDFA, how do we continue to measure success? And again, it goes back to performance and awareness, right? When it comes to the awareness side, when we have video and market, we're often looking at things like completion rate, audible and visible and complete. And those are our primary KPIs versus a CTR. Because again, if I'm running a true awareness campaign, I, I don't even care if a user clicks through. I want them to watch the message all the way through. And that's where, you know, things today where we can serve sequential messaging and perhaps get a display ad in front of them later and expect, you know, to drive CTRs higher there. Um, you know, that's how we're thinking through today. But I, again, post IDFA, I think a lot of those other signals will become much, much more important. And that's not to say they're not important today. We can look at a number of those kind of contextual signals and see how those correlate with, you know, down funnel performance. And I think we should continue to run those analysis while we have those data points so that we can help better set ourselves up for a world post IDFA. I think that what I get out of this basically is that with this coming change, other than just looking for a golden single KPI that kind of tells you if your marketing is doing well or not, it's really about looking at more KPIs, more analytics, understanding how your impressions to clicks are going, how your creatives use are going, how is your entire funnel kind of basically adopting a more macro slash micro view rather than assuming, well, if my uh, uh, ECPA is X, then I'm all good and go on ahead and spend more budgets. We should be doing that even even if IDFA deprecation wasn't happening, all marketers should be looking at that today. So, you know, one point about, about Fiber, and it's really, it's all out there publicly, so I won't spend too much time, but when we released our set of uh, contextual parameters, you know, uh, recently, and again, under the, 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 the privacy thing, 
we are now adding to the bid request data that was stored on the device, so it's only device level, it doesn't have any ID, but we're telling you, hey, you know, from this device, that's the average CTR you should expect, or that's the average engagement with the end card you should expect. As part of the bid request, without any ID, and how does it help? It means that if I have to choose for my creative set right now, when I have historical data on my creative, I can match creative to user. So it's contextual, but not of the sense of a 2014 desktop contextual targeting. It's more about how you connect in-app experience to contextual data today. And is that, is, that's all probabilistic, right? When so, passing think, data. so this is actually, what, that would be like the historical performance of that specific user that is stored on the device. So we're not broadcasting IDFA and this is the CTR, but I'm gonna say this is a bid request, no device ID, but this user on that device typically complete 95% com you know, view and, and clicks 0.6% of the time. So you understand who you're dealing with and you can decide whatever you wanna bid and with which creative. And that's, that's live today. Cool. No, that sounds great because again, I think it uh, it kind of bring context to the new uh, version of contextual, and it's not just about oh, this is a new site. I'm running campaigns for a news brand, and that's the only match I can do. Brings us to uh, the last question we have: uh, What targeting alternatives are available for marketers post IDFA, and how could these alternatives impact return on ad spend or ROI and media mix decisions? So without knowing, I just touched one example before, which is like this. Yeah, I, I, can, all of these contextual signals, I'll, I'll continue to harp on that because we have use cases and case studies where we've worked with advertisers who have a number of privacy restrictions. Um, and with that, we've certainly looked to the contextual side of things. And you know, there's a number of those levers available to us today within our DSPs, um, whether it be operating system, device, um, looking at even things like time of day and whatnot have been impactful. But in addition to that, the other ways that we're enriching that data set, taking in other signals, whether it be from the app store, looking at, you know, an app's rating, the description, the category of that to, to help our targeting. Beyond that, the media quality metrics that we're pulling in from our provider, um, going back to what we just discussed around, you know, viewability, audible, visible, and complete, all of those things. And how do we take all of that and work with our data science team to really provide back, you know, actionable targeting. Um, and that's where we're, we're continuing to look. I think it's been immensely successful for us, you know, in the past. And I think it'll continue to be successful post-IDFA. If I look a little bit of, a, of what we're trying to do at Incremental, so we're not trying to shape the targeting and we don't do anything in real time. But what we're basically trying to show you is what is the value of each of the players within your media mix. So it doesn't mean that we're trying to re-attribute um, the, the, the players. We're not telling you, no, these conversions actually came from this. We're basically showing you if you did not have this vendor, what would that do to your media mix? What would that do to your results? And it's really just about testing and retesting and retesting because in marketing, we do experience a constant change. Even if we're not making any change ourselves to the media campaign, uh, we don't live in a vacuum, unfortunately. Usually you have competition, you have intraday seasonality, you have seasonality, you have special occasions, uh, you have market changes, um, and then you have all these external factors that simply influence your marketing activities. In, in today's kind of like a, um, paradigm where everything simply gets attributed based on what the user did uh, last. Um, in our view, that's, that's a fact that we can actually use, but it doesn't necessarily tell us why did the team do as well as the team did. That's why we come with a completely different approach to measurement, which could influence your targeting decisions, but only based on your actual data and not based on fictional data. I have a question for Victor. Uh, Victor, I, uh, I read this morning on the MDM Slack channel that uh, Zynga moved a couple of the Rolic titles to the Zynga account on the App Store. So the same games are now appear under uh, the Zynga account, not the Rolic account, which automatically begs the question, is this a move to better utilize IDFV? Do you think we will see you know, a prominent IDFV usage and more acquisitions that are actually migrating accounts under, under one name? Yeah. Uh, I think we would. Um, you know, the IDFV still exists, and for giant publishers, just like Zynga, 
Supercell, all those guys came. That, that IDFV is a very powerful tool for retargeting or cross promo, um, and they'll still have that option. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say that I think that trend would, should continue. So Victor, maybe you can share from your perspective, how do you see like pure user acquisition for, for the gaming side across H1? Uh, what kind of, uh, what should we expect from the main uh, marketers, the main buyers? Well, so, you know, my thoughts on this, I agree with what you said earlier, that CPMs will drop. Ad revenue will drop, I think, drastically, which eliminates quite a bit of competition on the buy side from the hyper casuals and eliminates some of them, uh, depending how they handle it. Um, so, I, th I mean, I think budgets for the big guys should not drop. And here, I mean, Supercell, Zynga, King, all those guys, they should still continue to spend because things will be cheaper. It'll be less certain, but they have really high quality games, really high quality entertainment and product. So uh, they shouldn't affect the quality of the users. Um, and then after that, it's really, it's really hard to say. I think this will force game developers to shift to game design much more. And I'm talking about games, that's what I know. Uh, shift to game design and really make their products as 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 good as possible. Such as, you know, I I consider Supercell to be the the, the top here, or King even, right? Uh, to be as good as them, as opposed to focusing on marketing tricks or focusing on user acquisition as much, um, which will then kind of restart the soup. If the product is really good, UA becomes much easier for the product because you know uh, games are addicting and they're and they're entertaining. And we'll kind of restart that loop again, but with less, I, I see, I see there, I see less players being in the field in a year or so. Victor, I understand your point about the, the triple A titles versus the hyper casual, and of course the impact on, on ad revenue. But let me ask you this: Is it safe to also assume that you know hyper casual publishers eventually they are less whales or sophisticated users? It's more like a category targeting. I want to move all my audience from this. Uh, catch and drop game to, to the next catch and drop and from this hold and, and jump to the other. So it's more like shifting big audience of users from point A to point B, not necessarily a specific, a specific one. And then maybe, you know, maybe their ad revenue won't drop dramatically if the same hyper casual will keep advertising the same titles over and over again. Yeah, could be, could be. I think it'll just be, but because it will be harder to price each user, and hypercasuals have a very wide range of users, right? There's older people with a lot of uh, disposable income to a lot of younger people who have zero disposable income, maybe their parents' credit card, right? But there's such a wide range of users uh, that will become nearly impossible to individually price. That, that will drop bids. I, I, I don't think it matters too much if you move the audience around. The bids, I see the bids dropping and that drops CPM, that drops second price. You know, if it's, if it's header bidding, that'll drop the first price. And so I think it should still, we should still see a decline. Do we think that recovers over time though? As we continue to see more contextual targeting where, you know, we're starting to target more so on, you know, the, the category of app that we want to play on. Do we see that slowly recover? I don't think it'll ever come back to the levels we're at today where we can, you know, price almost one-to-one -one where I know this user is extremely valuable to me, but again, looking at almost a cohort of you as users that are on this subcategory of app, those are the users I want to get in front of. And again, does that become more competitive as more buyers shift to that model? Uh, personally, I think that there is another like like a um, wild jack here or wild card here. It's uh, brands who have not yet entered the mobile space. And if I look at mobile, um, there's so many brands who literally have stayed away from this for a couple of reasons. One of them is, was the need for third-party attribution. And I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're a, like a, an offline brand or a web brand that is making their way into a desktop, this whole uh, mobile app ecosystem, SDKs, is just an unknown for you. Now, the second was um, mobile was extremely untrustworthy. There was so much fraud. So much of it was attribution fraud. And you look at the biggest uh, fraud cases in the industry, um, they were all thanks to the fact that you could literally just trigger events and get credit and get paid for them. Now, in, a, in an SKA network world, you don't really need to do too much special things um, with Apple as long as your app is on the App Store. Second of all, attribution itself, A, is free. B, 
it's an Apple product. I'm pretty sure Apple nailed it in a way where it's not that easy to just uh, um, uh, trigger random installs. They're not coming from an actual device. There is verification there, which let's face it, some of the uh, attribution solutions out there simply did not have. Now, in my view, the cohort-based attribution is similar to what many brands are used to. When you bake it into the app store itself, you give a lot of incentive to brands who simply stayed away from mobile to come into the space. Eventually, I think this will help bring more demand, increase CPMs, because like placements becomes a, a lot more important when you're talking to a brand versus a performance advertiser that typically does like puts location where the ads are running a secondary to the actual uh, contextual aspect of it. So that in my view is a wild jack that, well, of course, that's my complete opinion and uh, we'll see, time will tell if this is indeed the case. I mean, it all goes back to transparency. I think that's what has turned off marketers for years for entering the programmatic space because of all of these stories of, of the past. But I think, you know, we've continued to shift in a direction where there's more transparency, there's more consolidation offered to your point. And I think, again, with some of these adjustments, we'll continue to see the transparency increase. And I think we'll feel more and more comfortable with the media that we're deploying. And, and frankly, you know, whether that be brand safety or on the attribution side. And I think we need to uh, help Mao open his eyes a little bit. Uh, Mao, you tell a very compelling story. You do, you're a good storyteller. However, I don't see SK Network designed for brand advertisers. Again, brand advertising is a big world, but, but most of them don't really have an app on the App Store, and that's not their primary use case. There is no pixel support or anything like that, or web to app conversion tracking for SK Network, which is still a primary. And Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, with the exception of, again, like the performance marketing side, brands still want to track, you know, if it's food traffic or, or, or just web traffic and not just installs. I agree with your story. If Apple would come for a solution, web to app, app to web conversion, which is free and, and, and trustworthy, they are onto something. But SK Network as it is today, not built for it. Yeah, I, I think this goes back to how are marketers going to look to almost circumnavigate SK Ad Network? Do we see, you know what, they don't even want to push to the App Store anymore, and what they're looking to do is directly deep link the user or push them to a web-based experience. We can look at Netflix where, you know, they push users to a web-based environment to subscribe there. They, want to, they don't want to pay the 30% fee to Apple. Um, will we continue to see that rise? And so, uh, again, I think there's a lot to consider. I, I agree it, it could be the case where we see you know, more marketers in the space and they're looking more on a placement level basis. But I think time will tell. Yeah, but of course we can differentiate a Netflix versus an offline brand. So a Netflix sells digital goods. That's why Apple would basically cut to the 30%. Now we can have another round table discussing if it's fair or not. Um, but uh, I think for many brands who have been avoiding going into uh, the mobile space, for sure, we see with some of the biggest brands specifically take a Starbucks, take a McDonald's, take a Dunkin' Donuts, that the app strategy worked out well for them, especially the, the whole e-wallet, mobile payment. And there, by the way, Apple made some strategic moves as well with uh, what is it, the Apple credit card or Apple Pay in general. Now, maybe again, we, we, can, we can of course look at the next couple of months or we can look at the next couple of years. Eventually, I think that apps win and uh, apps win because it's a, it's a better experience for the user and it's what Apple actually wants. Apple wants to make the phone the center of our digital lifestyle and more and, more, and more brands are coming into this, uh, um, to this world simply because Apple is making it a much easier, cleaner experience for them to actually leverage on their own uh, customers as well. The opportunity for brands to step in now is actually would come from a lower CPMs. A performance advertiser, pure UA, drove really high eCPM, which is great for the publisher, but you know, most brand advertisers, again, for the purely brand side, could not compete. And now if everything will go down, it actually levels the playing field and give them a, an easier way in to be competitive. I, I think it goes beyond just pricing though. I, I would think there are, you know, branding marketers out there that would stand to gain a lot, you know, enabling on, on the app side. Again, we, we have seen that 
um, it performs obviously very different versus what we find on the website, whether that be on viewability, whether that be on engagement. And again, I think there's, there's such a wide array of ad formats there that are so interesting and unique that we love to be able to activate that we don't necessarily get on the website. Um, and again, it's, it provides a lot of flexibility, it provides a lot of scale, and we found a lot of success there. Obviously, pricing will always, you know, will price out uh, branding marketers from coming and, and deploying in that space. But I, I certainly think that they, they also stand to gain a lot if they were to enable and, and test. So I think we can uh, wrap up here. Thank you, everybody, for your time, for your participation. Thank you for uh, putting great lighting and good microphones. Uh, have a great rest of the day, everybody. Thank sure. you.